Picture this. Cleveland is beating up on Kevin Gosman. Bieber is hitting 93 to 94 on the radar gun. Life is good. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Zach, do you think it's true what they say? That every time Ahmed Rosario pimps a home run, an angel gets his wings? (laughs) I was trying to do the Vince McMahon meme where everything you say... I lean back a little further in my chair and my face gets a little more red and I start sweating a little more. But this chair can't really handle that. I'd follow. <laughs> Neither could his. That's true. <laughs> One backward tumble and we'll have completed the meme. Well, welcome to the Selby is Godcast. If you're new here, I'm TJ. That is Zach. Thank you for clicking play. If you haven't already, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify, where we meet every week to talk about well, a first place Cleveland Guardians, among other things. And of course, you can find us if you want to support the show. Get over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast, where you get additional episodes, you get access to the Discord. It's only a dollar per episode. So at most, it's like four, at, at most five bucks per month if we do an extra show, if there's an extra week in the month. And you get so much out of that. At least I hope you do. And you, you bring this show, the free one too. I know it's a free show. But it's because of the supporters that we're able to do the free show on top of the Patreon. So you support the show in all areas there by by helping us out. And we do appreciate it. Welcome, Zach. Are you ready to talk first place Cleveland Guardians with their two and a half game lead on the rest of the division? That absolutely stinks because the Guardians have proved they are the class of the division. (laughs) Do you believe? Like, what did you need to see from this team before you start believing. Uh, this was a big weekend for me. It opened my eyes. I mean, you're you're like a couple hits with runners in scoring position away from sweeping them or keep another ball in the in the yard on Saturday. I mean, it was yeah. They better home plate performance from the umpire. Yeah. They flat out looked like the better team. And I, it's one weekend. I'm not going to draw some sweeping conclusions, although you're going to try to get me to, I assume. Uh, but just, I mean, it's, it's mid August and the pitching is rounding into form and the brand of offense. I think it works. I don't know if other teams have tried to do this. I don't know if they've had the right personnel to excel in this way. And yeah, they could still use some power in the lineup somewhere. And maybe that'll happen internally. Maybe Gonzalez will start doing what he did in the minors. Nolan Jones will hit for some power. But it's working. I mean, and it's contrary to what it seems a fan on Twitter from the opposing team says after every series where their team gets their doors blown off. uh, It's... It's refreshing to watch. <laughs> like, it's such a pleasing brand of baseball. 
um, the running, the capitalizing on every single mistake and forcing teams into more mistakes because you bust your ass down the line on every ball in play and going first to third and stealing second and hits and runs and just ruining the lives of any catcher who doesn't have a really quick pop time and a good arm. Like they're just, they're smart, they're aggressive, they capitalize on things. And then when you constantly put the ball in play and you make things happen, I mean, it's like, it is the most interesting baseball I've watched from this team since at least 2017, right? Yeah, I, w- I would say so for sure. I'm glad you brought this up because I had it jotted down in my notes. I know our pal on Gage had brought up something similar on Twitter throughout the, the game on Sunday. But you do hear so many complaints about the way that this team plays from opposing fan bases. Now, most of them frustrated because they just got that death by a that thousandth paper cut has finally taken care of things. And that sets them off. It, it pushes them over the edge. And I could get it. Because we have seen a lot of teams play Cleveland throughout the years and play that very frustrating style. Very recently, the Royals, everyone points to when they won the World Series, maybe playing a similar brand of baseball. I'm not sure if it's exactly the same, but put the ball in play, rely on the elements that people would have said were old school and not just relying on a three-run home run. So I get it. I understand why people would be frustrated by it. But I don't think it's just as simple as, oh, well, they just continuously luck into some bloop jobs and and uh, they, they don't really earn the runs that they get. We, we made jokes about that earlier this year, that they're a team that lives on sack flies and ground outs for RBIs, and sometimes that's not the most sexy of highlight packages. But don't they create a lot of the action by just putting it in play? Mm-hmm. They, they're athletic, they're speedy, a lot of them are. They can force the action. They make things happen on the field. So it's not just a, oh, well, Cleveland once again has just lucked their way into three or four runs and that happened to be enough tonight. There are elements of luck at play, of course, but when you utilize the whole field, you're, you're tough to defend. You can't bring a, a shift around and take away base hits that way. If you're able to continuously put the ball in play uh, a league that has for many years maybe put defense on the back burner because you can utilize shifts and teams don't put the ball in play as much as they have throughout the history of baseball and if there's going to be a lot of strikeouts and not a lot of action why do I care if a guy's good defensively with the way they're stealing bases taking extra bags going first to third I don't think it's just as simple as oh well a couple of bloops, and that's what got the job done. Well, yeah, but that's the style they want to play, and they continuously force the issue. They force the other team to make the mistakes, and lately they've capitalized on them. Yeah, I mean, the the top of the order, and I know Jose Ramirez has not quite looked like himself for a little while now, but, I mean, it's just a pain if you're the opposing team because Quan is not a rookie. He, I know he's technically a rookie, that guy is like the most polished 24-year-old. Um, and you see he's more confident on the bases. Notice how often he's stealing second once he reaches. And he's just like, like he struck out in back-to-back at-bats over the weekend. I think it was to end Saturday's game and to start Sunday's game. And like, I remember thinking when he, he struck out Saturday and it was not a great call 
on the third strike. But I just thinking like, boy, I kind of trust Quan more than I trust an umpire. Like if it's going to be a called third strike. So it just, you know, you know, you start with him. Ahmed Rosario is playing out of his mind lately. He's hitting for power now. Um, and it's just, I, I don't have his base running metrics in front of me. Does that guy ever make a mistake? I mean, he's like, just the way he can read every ball put in play. I mean, like he'll be on second. There will be a bloop single to right center and he'll score before I even look up. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so impressive. And obviously Jose Ramirez does what he does, but it's just, I mean, they scored in the first inning, I think in all three games in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. And those guys have fueled the team in the second half. And I mean, obviously it's not just them, you know, Naylor's contributed. Andre Semenez is second in the American league in batting average. And he's another guy. He leads the team in stolen bases. And you just see the young guys. You just see the confidence growing. And think about, you know, everybody I just named, what you thought about that person on opening day. Like Quan. Nice story. Don't really know much about him. Maybe he can stick as a part-time guy. How about now? I think you feel a little better about him now. Ahmed Rosario. You were counting down the days until he was traded or until he was supplanted by Gabriel Arias. Now? I think the majority of Cleveland fans want him to be the shortstop next year, too. And people are asking if an extension would be possible. You know, Josh Naylor, you had no idea what you were going to get coming off the injury. Now, he's cemented as a middle-of-the-order bat. You feel great about him in there. How many key hits has he come up with? Jimenez, you had no idea what to think of him. You certainly weren't feeling great after last year. He's been unbelievable this season. It's, it's just... He's, he's like young Robbie Alomar this year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... This is a team that, like, the reason the organization constantly says, like, like they don't want to compare players, young players, to proven major leaguers. They don't want to say, oh, like, we think he can be a 20-homer guy. You know what I mean? Like, they don't want to put ceilings on guys. And you're seeing exactly why. How many players on this team have exceeded expectations this year? Last year, the answer was, like, zero or one or two this year it's it's a crazy number and it's not just like incrementally better than we thought it's blowing past our expectations and getting better as the season goes on and so we sit here with i think seven six and a half weeks left in the regular season and this team is i mean why put a ceiling on what they can accomplish yeah i mean just think of this recent stretch where where jose hasn't been it like looked like an MVP candidate. Now I know Friday night he goes off right after we have a conversation about him being a weak spot in the lineup. So apologies we didn't say that sooner, but we got to it on the Patreon show. The <laughs> dude showed up. Uh, and I'd like to point out, I, I was the one saying he just needs to stay in the lineup, not pull him out because he's injured or something. But he goes off, but it hasn't been like the Jose Ramirez show it needed to be for so long. It, it's not. Think of, even in this game on Sunday, of course, Ramirez provides a, an RBI late. Quan finally gets on the board with a base hit in the final inning. But before that inning, they're leading this game, and they've got it pretty well in hand. Quan hadn't gotten a base hit, and Jose Ramirez hadn't gotten a base hit. Those are two of your key bats. They now have an offense that, I'm, I'm not saying that, and I just said that this, this past week, I'm not saying that they look like one of the best offenses in baseball, because they don't. But they have guys that 
are a threat. And maybe that's putting the bar too low, but for so many years, be once you got beyond the fourth and fifth spot in the lineup, you didn't have a threat. Now you actually have other guys that what a good baseball team is supposed to do, cycle through guys that are hot in a batting order. You're lucky if you get two, three guys that are like really hot at one time, and that carries your offense. Because it doesn't just it can't just be about one guy hitting 300 constantly. That's just not how it works. We know that. And so I'm very uh, encouraged by the way that this offense, yeah, of course, it's not always pretty, but that's the way they play. And it's, it's intentional, the way that they play. And it doesn't just rely on one guy every single night to carry the load. That's, it's been incredible to see how many younger players continue to, to shock us with their performances. But it doesn't have to be one guy carrying the offense. And maybe that's why they're able to flourish, because nobody feels that giant pressure on their shoulders right now. I believe the stat is Ramirez has like 30 RBIs over his last 32 games, something like that, which, I mean, RBIs is not, you're not going to deduce a ton from that, but you can, what it does tell you is, even though he hasn't looked like himself at the plate, those guys around him in the lineup are constantly on base and making shit happen. So it's, it's weird, right? Like every year we're talking about well, the rotation's really consistent and really good, but you're right, that lineup, like, the bottom half is pretty lousy, and you just wonder if you can scratch across enough runs. And now it's like, I'm tuning in, I'm making sure I'm in my seat for the top of the first inning, because before I blink, like, they're going to have three guys on base and running all over the place, and, I mean, how many infield hits does this team get? And it's not even just Rosario and Ramirez. I mean, Oscar Gonzalez beating things out, and it's just, like... Like the perfect example is Gonzalez beat out that I think it would have been a double play on Sunday. And then was it Hedges had his the weird double down the line that Biggio like kinda like jogged over to and but but that's yeah, a perfect weird. example of like they capitalize on everything. And you know, we have to mention Chris Valeka because I think it was, you know, they got like th- this offense was working for the first month, and a lot of that was, I think, Quan and Ramirez carrying the load, um, and people wanted to just say, "Oh my God, it's it's Valeka. That's why this is happening." And you know, even he said, "Like pump the brakes. Like I, like I, we don't even really know who we are yet. We don't have an identity." But <laughs> that's such a credit to him because I'd be like, "Yep, that was me. <laughs> I did that." <laughs> but you can see, I mean, it's it's. They do have an identity. It's obvious, but it fits the personnel. You know, like we haven't really seen Tyler Freeman yet, but like he fits this style perfectly. If he gets more at bats, I think you'll see it. You know, Will Benson, I think he can fit in this mold. Um, so I, I think, I think it's proving that it's working, and that doesn't mean you're not going to have funks where it's just really hard to string hits together. I think that's what we were saying. Why? You know, someone like Framil Reyes is valuable if he's going well, because if you are struggling and you can just get that home run that you need at that one time in, in that game where things aren't going well, that's that's so critical. But, you know, you can find that organically. And it's just it's it's bizarre that like the offense is the reason like you you can sell tickets. That's not it's not this franchise's way of doing things in recent memory. <laughs> and it's not the conventional offense either. It's not right. even selling. 
Here, come out and watch all these long balls. No, it's come out and watch a bloop double down the right field line and then ground out to second and then sack fly to left and, like, okay, runs on the board. It's uh, it just made these games so much more entertaining. You know, we talked about how even when it's not going well, just it's a more entertaining brand to watch, but it's also translating to wins. And for them to go to Toronto, take two out of three, have the offense show up pretty well in two of those games. And as you mentioned, they're they're right there. It's a one-run loss in the, the second one. So, I mean, they they really went to Toronto and handled that series. They they look like they were the better team. Now, the length of the baseball season, you see teams like the Yankees, who are fantastic, go through a stretch where everyone in New York is panicking and saying, nope, the, the, the Mets are clearly better. Well, even good teams go through it. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we were we were saying, okay, it was fun for a while, but the stretch against Boston and New York kind of proved uh, they got some, they got a little bit of ways to go here, and then they recovered from that, and and maybe that's even more encouraging that you know that that tough stretch that they went through didn't end their season. That wasn't the end. Uh, other younger teams, maybe they fold. Maybe they say, okay, yeah, it's just not our year. We're playing better teams now, and we're just not able to hang around. No, they recovered. And, and you could say whatever you want to about the, the competition they get to play in the division. Well, it is what it is. And the Twins get to play the same amount of games within the division. And so do the White Sox. And the team that's taking advantage of it right well now. Outside of it. You know, they've fared well against pretty good teams. I know their record against winning teams is above 500. And, and honestly, I mean, just the way they... Recovering that Houston series was impressive. Look, I, I'm not naive enough to think that this team isn't going to have some other rough stretches at some point. You know, and, and we're always careful to overpraise when things are going well and overcriticize when they aren't. But I, I don't know. I mean, I like uh, well, div- to, to hell with that. It's Victory Monday. <laughs> <laughs> All the other radio shows get to do that crap, so why can't we? <laughs> they did beat the Jags. Yeah, I thought we were starting this episode with five minutes of Browns talk. Oh, take a page out of the uh, A to Z playbook, and and we'll do the Browns minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I I this division is winnable, man. It's I, the, those other teams. I don't think anyone wants to win it. I, I just. That that's the only conclusion I can come to. I don't, you know, I think the Twins and White Sox for some reason they don't want the pressure of October. That's all I can figure out. Well, it, doesn't the baseball season just prevent you from going off on one of those? Oh yeah, the the, the Guardians are clearly good and everyone else stinks because so much changes with, within 24 48 hours. I mean, they're getting ready to play a doubleheader. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But, you know, teams stub their toes, and it makes it really difficult to just make some giant grand declaration about any team within a division. Because even flashback to right after the the, the trade deadline, Minnesota had taken care of some of their major holes. And we were saying, good, good job on their part to go take care of those things. And they look like 
okay, they're 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 ready. They're they're good to go. They they shored up that bullpen a little bit. Well, that hasn't worked out. I mean, you're only as good as your most recent stretch, often in baseball. The division is only separated by two and a half games, so that's one week away from being drastically changed. But how can you not be encouraged? How can you not be looking at the way that they've played and say, damn, they're going to be in it till the last week of the season, and this, there's no reason to, to change my mind on that right now. Six weeks ago, this team lost four straight in Detroit. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like you're a completely different team, but you can see the elements within that are working. I mean, the rotation is doing... It's, they're, they've pitched out of their minds for the last week. I don't know that they'll continue at that pace, but I think like what you've seen from McKenzie and Bieber are what you would want to see. And I think Quantrill, you know, I don't think he's going to pitch a shutout every time, but I think he's proven in the past he can be better than what he's been for most of this year. So I... I I, the the truth always lies in the middle, and this team will come back to earth a little bit at some point. But what they've done so well is that a different part of the roster has carried them at different points. It's just that right now you're seeing everybody kind of firing on all cylinders. But the offense carried this pitching staff for a while, and the pitching staff seems ready and willing to carry the offense if need be. Yeah, I, we got to give them a lot of credit because it's one thing to play a team like Detroit and hold them down. But you go to, to Toronto, in Toronto, you're playing that offense, and I don't care. I, I get sick of like, oh, well, then maybe maybe they're not quite the Toronto offense. Okay, it's still the Blue Jays. It's still a lot of talented guys that you've got to be extremely careful with in an environment that they're going to be extremely comfortable hitting in. And you went there and just dominated them. Completely Four dominated. Runs in three games. Yeah. Their lone victory, it, it comes with in one run fashion, and in those games, one swing either way. The the starting pitching is doing the sorts of things that we, we thought they're gonna have to do all year to have a chance. But if you're gonna uh, choose a a time for it to happen later in the season doesn't feel like such a, a tough time to have that happening if you're going to be playing in, in games that really matter in August and September to have this starting pitching staff being where they need to be. That's a good feeling, and it makes it a lot easier to play games like who's your three and give me the order. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm supposed to ask you that. It's pretty easy, right? It's been the same three for a long, long time. And McKenzie, Quantrill's making it Bieber, easier to put him, put him in that, that category when he's doing what he did in, in uh, his start in this series. Doesn't that feel more encouraging, though, to see them do... Not, it's not just Detroit. and It's an eight-game stretch where they have like a 121 ERA or some bullcrap. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But they went to Toronto and pitched like they did. And Bieber, have we been too hard on him? He would say yes. <laughs> uh, I I think so. My I, part of the someone said to me today, why does it seem like the fan base is kind of like not turned on him, but like he's become easy to pounce on when things aren't going great. I, I think 
velocity being so readily available hurts someone like him because you have something tangible you can point to. It's very easy. It's anyone can access it. They can see his velocity has been way down and that's just like an easy correlation. All right. He's just not quite as good. And it makes you just not believe in a guy as much because you know, it, it just seems like it should be so much easier to get guys out if you're throwing two, three miles an hour or harder. But in all my criticisms or or questionings of him this season, I have noted that no, he doesn't look like the dominant Cy Young winner of past, but his numbers have been right in line with where they were in 2019 when he was an all-star and finished fourth in the Cy Young voting and where they were last year when he was pitching pretty well for most of the season when he was healthy. And the the, the whole narrative has been, or, or should have been, I don't know if other people have written or said this, but, and this is the point he kept making to me, was he's not, he's, he, he's 100% healthy, but he's not 100% back to where he was mechanically. And yet he was still producing pretty good numbers. So he felt in his mind, that once he got to 100% mechanically, he would start throwing a little bit harder, and then maybe he'd be even more effective on the mound. He said he was close. I think judging by his velocity on Sunday, he was correct, Mm -hmm. and he was pretty effective. Yeah, for sure. This point has been brought up on Twitter, but it's worth mentioning. The dude is sixth. In Fangraphs War, in American League pitching, this year, sixth. So that that's saying, there are five pitchers that are better than him in WAR, and that's it. And we have talked about him a lot this year, like he's been a, a disappointment. But I think a lot of that comes from the fact that he had set the bar for himself to being top three pitcher on the planet. Mm-hmm. That's that's the new norm that he had set for himself. Now maybe that was unfair to do that after a shortened season, or you know, to look at him and say, "Oh no, that's that's clearly him now for good." And then that's the new establishment of your expectations. But I think a lot of teams would be very pleased if Shane, if they penciled in game one starter Shane Bieber, how many teams would be ecstatic about that? You look at the numbers, and we can point to velocity, and it's kept him from reaching like all world Super Saiyan Bieber. But yeah, the strikeouts are are fine; they're not like out of this world. But he's keeping the ball in the ballpark at a pretty good clip, and he still is avoiding walks, getting his fair share of strikeouts, and keeping the FIP to like two eighty. I, I don't have a ton to complain about as far as results go. And it seems like he is trending in a, a, a place where he's he's improving. He's getting better. And maybe it's just a, a combination of velocity is getting better and ticking up. But he's also just familiar with where his body's at now. So now he knows how to attack with what he has this year. Because that's always going to be fluctuating and changing. A pitcher isn't in a, he doesn't just go one way his entire career and never adjust off of that. Yeah, he's made that point too. You know, it's the first time he's had to tweak things during a season. It's it's come really easy to him. 
<laughs> Must be nice, right? Imagine just never having to get better at your craft because you're just so good from the from day one. Uh, but no, I mean it, it's the rotation. We've talked about it a ton. Like it makes sense still, even if Bieber and McKenzie are locked in as a one and a two. Still makes sense to maybe go upgrade one of those other spots in large part just because you have all the ammunition to do that. But you certainly feel a lot better with where you're at if if oh, he's sure. pitching the way he pitched the last couple times out. Yeah, I mean, between he and McKenzie, and then if you find any of the other three to step up, Quantrill has done that for the majority of the year, then yeah, it, it makes, makes it easier to believe in what they're doing. And then if you do happen to reach the playoffs, it feels a lot more real when at least two of those starters are capable of going out and giving you ace-like performances. And it's why maybe more than ever before, when you look at the projected odds and you see Cleveland having the best odds to win the AL Central, you say, say that, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem so ridiculous, or does it? See, here's where I want to put you to the test. Because we talked about it on our Patreon show that they now had the best odds to win the division courtesy of Fangraphs. But even as as recent as that show, I don't know that I felt that myself. <laughs> like, put put the Zachograph together and, and try to adjust where you're at on there. Do you think you would have given Cleveland the best odds to win the division, the most likely of outcomes is that Cleveland wins the division. Would you have said that on Friday? And even after this series, would you say that today? On Friday, no. It's tough. I mean, it's amazing the Twins address their bullpen at the deadline and then the bullpen continues to let them down. They seem like they've had some horrendous sequencing throughout the season. I mean, that got them against Cleveland back in that five-game series. But I, I, you know, why this is so tricky is, one, the Guardians and the Twins are going to play each other. I think it's like eight times in a week and a half in September. I think there's another five-game series in there in Cleveland. Like that that's going to feel like a playoff series and like so much can happen in that such a big swing. I don't think the I, like, I, I truly believe all three teams are going to stay in this because I don't think the white Sox are, they have too much talent to just fade even without Tim Anderson. And the big thing though, that I keep coming back to is the last week of the year. When Cleveland gets Kansas city for six in a row at home to close out the schedule. And I know it's really difficult to beat any team six straight times, but you want to talk about like a team having everything to gain and another team having nothing to gain and wanting to play its kids who probably aren't ready yet. I mean, I guess that goes for Cleveland too in some aspects, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I keep thinking about the schedule and I just, I think September is going to be a thrill for everybody involved, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to temper my expectations for the team just because 
again, like they're yeah. firing on all cylinders right now. Blah, blah, blah. That's the radio answer. You don't give anyone the hot stuff there. I want the actual <laughs> hottest of hot takes from you. I mean, Fangraphs has given them almost a 50% chance to win the division now. That's insane. 50% chance. Almost. And I think for the first time in a while, the White Sox might be above the Twins as far as uh, winning the division projections. I mean, a two-and-a-half game lead is... It's not nothing. No. I think this Detroit series is big. I think you got to win three or four. Um, yeah, I mean, so are you asking me, do I think they deserve to be the favorites to win the division? No. No, that's not what I'm asking you at all, because I think that's an easy answer to say yes to. Damn it. Is it the most likely outcome? That's even leaving the, the door open for you to say there are other outcomes. It's not even the hottest okay, take okay. you can make. The hottest so, take is, damn it, they're winning the division. And then you just leave it at that. That's not what I'm saying. The yeah, most likely outcome. You know about the Meisel Jenks. If I come on here and say they're winning the division, they're going on a 10-game losing streak. <laughs> I, think the most, I think the most likely outcome is they win the division. Whoa. Oh, wow. But. It was like pulling teeth, but we got there. And here comes the butt. <laughs> but that says more about the other teams in the division. Because if you asked me if the Guardians don't win it, who will? Uh, like, I, it's hard to make a strong case for either of those teams. It's, it's not easy to make a case for the Guardians either. They're so young and you just assume they're going to go through a rough patch at some point. But I just, ha, like, what about the Twins or White Sox screams, oh yeah, that's the team that's going <laughs> to yeah. stand tall at the end. Well, I keep saying that about the White Sox just based on my preconceived notions about them entering the year. They're, but they're clearly not that team that I mm -hmm. thought they were in my head. I don't know. The twins, the twins confound me. I never know exactly where to place them on some kind of tier. I mean, I, I guess that just signals what they are pretty close to the guardians of being middle of the pack, but with, with the way that bullpen just has not come together, no matter who they plug in and their struggles right now with runners in scoring position. Do I just say that that, that is the sequencing you're talking about? They're creating chances but they cannot buy a base hit with runners in scoring position. Is that because it's bad luck? Is it because that's the style they play? It's a different situation with Cleveland where maybe they don't need a base hit to generate offense. So, I mean, I, I keep wanting to give the White Sox the credit I gave them at the start of the year, even though they haven't earned it whatsoever with their play. I can't write them off, though. And the Twins, I still feel like they're, dangerous and I did like the moves they made prior to the to the deadline man I can't even answer my own question come on man <laughs> you're gonna skewer me like that and then you're gonna weasel your way out of it <laughs> I can look at this a couple of different ways do I join you and then be blamed when things don't turn out or <laughs> Do I say, oh, no, it's the White Sox, and then be pleasantly surprised when it's Cleveland? 
However, if for some reason Cleveland doesn't win it, I then look like the smart guy that said, I said the White Sox were going to come back and win it. Well, I predicted we know the White Sox would go to just... the World Series, so I kind of win either <laughs> way here. Sure, right, yeah. If you feel that good about it, then don't back off that prediction now. <laughs> the White Sox, man, how, how are you managed by, putting it in air quotes, the old school manager and play the way that they play? It's so sloppy and so subpar defensively and just so uninspiring and isn't when you have the old school manager isn't it supposed to take care of that crap yeah so it's the opposite of what the guardians do where didn't he instruct them like don't hustle down the line on routine ground balls and whatnot and i mean we've seen how that benefits cleveland i think I don't know for sure, so don't quote me on this. I, I Terry Francona made a comment recently. I, I I wish I could go back and find it. Where it I like my antenna went up. Like it sounded like he was maybe taking a swipe at the White Sox for not hustling ever, because he was saying how how much they preach it in Cleveland and how it's really worked for them. And then he said something like, "You know, I not I know not everybody does that." And I was like, well, "That's an interesting thing to say." Um, but yeah, I mean, they look like, like they look like they don't want to be there. You know, like you're supposed to, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. They look miserable. They hate what they do. Like most of the uh, screen grabs I get once this show is over and it spits them out of me. Here's four different highlights from the show and three of them look like Zach is so depressed. Yeah, that look. I, I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> rather be anywhere but talking to this douche <laughs> well you make me answer these tough questions and then you don't even answer them yourself <laughs> that's the beauty of running the show you know what screw it guardians win no i i i think after this series this is the first time i feel like yeah that makes a lot of sense that they would now I don't know that I would give them a fifty near fifty percent chance to win the division, but do I favor them over the Twins and the White Sox at this point? I think I have to. I think I do. I mean, they're just the way they're playing right now. We can make a case that it can change drastically in, in a very quick amount of time. But if the starting pitching is going to, I'm not even saying like this, but if the starting pitching is going to be like even in the ballpark of being this good or as good as we thought they could be then there is no reason why they're not going to hang around. Zero reason why. Yeah, I mean, I, they'll hang around for sure. I mean, I just, it's, can you win the games you need to win? Can you beat the Twins when it counts? I don't know. It's going to be fun. Can, I'll be honest, I didn't expect this. And if if you no. would have told me in April that, hey, you're going to record a podcast on August mid in mid August. And you know, by that point, like you'll have seen Tanner Tully, Kirk McCarty a few times, Oscar Mercado comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. I mean, forget that noise. Just look at who would have been hitting cleanup throughout the year. Yeah. Oscar Gonzalez hitting cleanup for you very recently. Yeah. 
And it turns out it wasn't a bad thing. Owen Miller, for like half the year, the dude's in a cleanup spot. I mean, there's, a, there's so much that you could have told yourself at the start of the season that you never would have believed. If you the fact that Fronto Reyes is a cub. Xavion <laughs> Curry would be the 14th player yes. to make his debut. Yeah. And there's still a month and a half in the season remaining. Do you think Never you just have like this. a some kind of Price is Right game that just spins and then that spits out the name and then that's who they go with in these starts? <laughs> well, they almost went with Curry when Hunter Gaddis debuted a week and a half ago. Um, but Curry had, I'm trying to remember, he had, he had gone like 10 days without pitching, I think, and then... They weren't positive that they needed Gaddis until like the day before, so they didn't want to hold Curry back even longer and then possibly not need him. Um, so they went Gaddis. Curry's another guy who would have had to be added to the 40-man at the end of the year anyway. Interesting dude. I mean, it's the track record, it's not very extensive because, um, you know, guys, what was he, drafted in 19? Obviously, there was no 2020 season. Uh, but best friends with Tristan McKenzie and lifelong friends with Will Benson. They grew up in the same town, played on the same Little League team. And who the hell would have guessed (laughs) back then in high school, in college, (laughs) or in like June that Benson and Curry would both be (laughs) teammates on the Guardians here in August. On the first place Guardians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it just adds to the, I mean, he's, he was another one. I'm extremely curious. That's now an ex- extremely fun game, and thank goodness it's not bullpen game. Thank goodness it's not someone that has no future within the organization because it gets so easy to tune those games out mentally. But this is one. Now you're locked in. This is, this is another fun evaluation game that's taking place within a season that has now become about winning. And th- this is someone that might be able to help you. Maybe. Even if it's just one game, he might be able to come in and help you. I mean, speaks volumes about the depth that they've created. And I'm not just talking about the starting pitching staff because that's waned. But just overall, just think of how many players they've called up and they've gotten some sort of contributions from them. That's what good organizations do, but you know, we've we've kind of bitched and moaned and lamented about their inability to do that in years past. This year, they're just churning through, guys. And they're getting positive contributions. The fact that you can plug in a Tyler Freeman, it's not like having just another Jose in the lineup, but that's someone that can actually do some damage. Have a positive at-bat, contribute in some way. And to to have that sort of player on your, your bench, it's just, it's such a different team right now. There's a lot of, like immeasurable stuff here. You know, I think it really helps when guys see longtime minor league teammates go up to the majors and make it look simple. I mean, I think Plesak and Savali fed off each other in 2019 and they fed off the fact that their buddy Shane Bieber had made the transition and made it look easy. So I think you're seeing that with all these kids this year too, because they don't seem daunted. I mean, you mentioned, like, Oscar Gonzalez, like, I know he's a rookie, too, and and it's 
you know, there's a big difference. Like what Quan is doing is insane, but like Gonzalez looks the part and like he goes up to bat and I'm like, I, I like what's, who's to say that he's not going to deliver in this situation. Like he just seems right, like right. he's capable. And I think you know, you're, you're conditioned to rookies looking so overmatched. That hasn't been the case here. I mean, like Gaddis, yes. You know, I don't think he was ready for that, especially against that team. But and for the most part, everybody's come up and contributed, and then it kind of becomes second nature. And half the team is like rookies or or guys who were playing together in Akron a year ago. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. This team has. I mean, I think there have been tweets and graphs out there like teams this young do not win at this rate. And, you know, there's something different about this group and you're seeing the confidence build as the season goes on. Sure. And there's no there's no level of expectations here weighing them down. Like maybe you can make a case for the White Sox or the Twins, Mm -hmm. two teams that feel like they, they're supposed to be here. They're supposed to be winning. And if they don't win it this year, the sand in the hourglass is slowly dwindling. For this Cleveland team, everybody in that locker room feels like this is the start of something. We're just now getting here. And I'm not saying that, that in a negative way, like the, if they don't make the playoffs or if they don't go far in the playoffs, like everyone's going to be cool with it. But just there's a difference there. When there's no level of expectation on you, and you just you're just going and having fun and letting your talent just kind of dictate what happens. It plays some factor. You can't convince me that it doesn't. I think that's what made the Cavs season so enjoyable to watch. And I know their season didn't end the way that <laughs> Cleveland fans hoped. Um, but it, it's a similar thing. It's a young team that. You didn't expect the arrival to be 2022. But again, I've said this in the past, like this stuff doesn't always abide by the timeline you had in mind. Yeah. Nor does it just stay there when you think that it's going to. Well, Zach, are you ready? I said, are you ready? And now it's time for the random Cleveland used to play here guy of the day. God, that rules. You ready to be embarrassed? (laughs) Yeah, you got me last time with an easy one. Let's go. I say easy. Sandy Martinez. I don't know what percent of Cleveland has heard of him. This man pitched for the Cleveland Indians in the 1998 season. Prior to that, he had spent parts of one, two, three, four, five, six, parts of eight seasons in the major leagues. For the 1998 Cleveland Indians, he made three appearances, three Pitched a total of five and a third innings. Gave up three earned runs. Walked two. Struck out two. So this one's going to be difficult. However, 
This man also went on to pitch a lot longer. He spent parts of 14 years in the major leagues. And when he was with Cleveland, it was in his age 30 season, he pitched until he was 38. So he had a lengthy major league career, but only three of of those, uh, let's see here, 678 career games came with Cleveland. Joe Roa? No. I think he was 96. Tim Worrell? No way. Uh, yeah! <laughs> Although you ruined it. The show's over now. I can just play the music and we can leave. <laughs> I had a third guess, but I don't think the third guess. I don't even know if he played for the for Cleveland. But those three, na- the three names popped into my mind immediately. Do you want to know anything else about Tim Morell? <laughs> what was his middle he name? Nailed it. Howard. Hmm. Yeah, lengthy career, only three games with Cleveland. Kind of odd how that worked out. Who do you, who who do you, he pitched for Philly throughout his career? This is ordered Boston? in. Number of years with teams, San Diego, parts of five years, San Francisco, parts of four years, Philadelphia, parts of two years, Oakland, two years. Then these were all one year or less. Arizona, Chicago, Cubs, Cleveland, Baltimore, Detroit. Hmm. Most of his career, most appearances with San Francisco, where he logged a 325 career ERA with the the Giants. All you people in the Selby is... Godcast Discord, who made fun of me for not knowing Sandy Martinez? <laughs> Suck it. Tim Worrell, career 397 ERA. Not bad. 14 years in the big leagues. It, 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 the thing that I, the reason why I brought him up, it's how often do you see a guy in the middle of a really long career like that make a pit stop in Cleveland? It's not even like Rich Hill. Like Rich Hill spent an entire year with Cleveland, and then he revitalized his career. But Tim Worrell, three appearances, and he was terrible, and then he goes else, and then his career just continues. <laughs> In fact, he was better after he left. It's just so weird that there's such a brief stop, and it looked like, yeah, maybe this guy is just a journeyman whose career is going to be over. Nope. Ripped it off 14 years in the big leagues. I don't know how interesting it would be, but I feel like someone could write a book about just the life of a reliever. Someone. Think about like just all it takes is like a little tweak and you go from your career ending to pitching for 15 years. If only there was an author in this damn show who could accomplish that. No, I, I, I got a, I got a book back here that proves that you're the you dude. You and me both, my friend. <laughs> Where can people get that? Uh, I got like. 50 copies on my shelf if you want one. (laughs) Oh, for Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. We'll see you later this week over in the uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast. Until then, be good, everyone. See you.